Maybe back door, maybe fall off. Sipping codeine, cause I gotta kill a cow. Let me sit sideways in the big bins. Oh, you boys, they my brothers, they my friends. The game may be over, but they are just getting started. Raw and unfiltered, this is the OU Insider staff, and this is the Under the Visor postgame podcast. Welcome to another OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners postgame podcast. My name is Brandon Drum. I'm here with Parker Parker Thune, and you are listening to the OU Insider Under the Visors podcast, like I just said, but it is late. It's 3.30 in the morning, and we are dragging. So I just repeated a thought that I had. Oh, this this podcast is going to be awesome, I can already tell you. Um, Hey, Oklahoma won. They beat the Oregon Ducks. 47 to 32. See, I almost forgot what the score was as well. So, um, yeah, it, 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 it was a game in which, like I said earlier, I, I don't, and I never thought that that game was, I never thought it was in flux. I never thought this game had any sort of issue as far as maybe Oklahoma was going to lose Maybe they weren't going to be able to hold on to the lead. Yes, Oregon made a run in the second half, but they're a really good football team, and that run was expected. So, I, you know, the defense the defense was dominant in the first half. I'll tell you that. I mean, very dominant for the majority of the first half. DJ Graham had a rough game. I think that's – that's That he did. I mean, sheesh. Man, he had a rough game. But outside of that, I thought the defense did exactly what they were expected to do, especially, folks, that defense was missing Isaiah Thomas, Nick Benito, Brian Osamoa, Perian Winfrey, and I'm sure I'm missing somebody else off the top of my head, but damn, that's a lot of studs that are not playing. I'm talking about first and second day NFL guys not out there. They're not out there playing. And guess what? We got to see the 2022 version of Oklahoma for the most part. Sands, Delarian Turner, Yell, Patrick Fields, Justin Broyles. Can Justin Broyles come back? He can come back, can he? He can come back. Do you think he will? I do think he will. Well, okay. So Sands, at least based based on the preliminary things I'm hearing, I would say Justin Burrell's will be back. Yes. So Sands, 
Patrick Fields and Stellarian Turner Yell. Uh, maybe Deshaun White, but I think you and I both think he's going to come back. Uh, at least right now, that's what we're gathering. So we'll see. We will see. Um, what what, do you, what were your overall thoughts of the game? Just and just kind of your your first take off the top of your head. If somebody said, "What did you think of Oklahoma's forty-seven thirty-two win?" Yeah. So I mean, you you kind of touched on it already, but the fact that DJ Graham got burned down the field, not once, not twice, but three times on the seam was a little concerning. Two of them ended up touchdowns. The third one, obviously, well, it should have been a touchdown. Anthony Brown just threw a bad deep ball, but I think the dominance of the defense in the first half cannot be understated. I mean, the, the score was 30 to three halfway through and they were getting pressure on the quarterback. Marcus Stripling and Ethan Downs in particular played fantastic football games. Uh, it's just, you know, Oregon just found a way to push the ball downfield in the second half, and they were able to put some points up. But you made a good point at the beginning, Brandon, which was this game was never really in doubt. And there never really was a point in time at which you figured, okay, well, Oregon's starting to legitimately creep back into this. Oklahoma handled right. their business. And it wasn't necessarily pretty down the stretch, but they won a football game and they won it pretty convincingly. And they were scoring at will for the vast majority of the game. And Kennedy Brooks was running all over the yard like he's done week in and week out for each of the three seasons that he's been a key component in the Oklahoma backfield. Caleb Williams was slinging it around. He threw a beautiful deep ball to Marvin Mims. And really for a while there, especially in the Second quarter, I think the second quarter was maybe the best quarter of football that we saw from Oklahoma since the Texas game, honestly. But especially in that particular quarter, it, Oklahoma had everything working for them. And the reality is with a team that's as talented as Oklahoma, at least on paper, you don't need everything working for you in order to win a football game. And, you know, that was that was the case tonight. Oklahoma didn't have everything working for them for all four quarters, but they had enough working at certain points throughout the game to be able to maintain that comfortable lead throughout and put Oregon away. Yeah. Uh, look, I thought that, like you said, Ethan Downs played really well. Marcus Stripling, Danny Stutzman played really well. Pat Fields, again, he played really well at the defensive MVP. Um, and, and even Justin Broyles, there was a time or two where he would come up and he, he filled his run lanes and his run fits really well. Uh, obviously, he got the interception early in the first quarter that, that kind of turned. Oklahoma looked a little stagnant to start, like they were just kind of discombobulated to start the game offensively with the first three. was I think it was three and out. It was like boom, boom, boom. And the first play defensively or two, I felt like die for Oregon, the running back, was was getting some pretty good penetration. And then Oregon went to a play action and the ball got tipped up in the air. Justin Broyles intercepts it. And from that point on, it just seemed like Oklahoma was just in command of that game. Like, and they never re relinquished it at all. It was purely Oklahoma doing whatever they wanted to offensively from that, that point on. Like, if they wanted to score 80 points tonight, I really believe they could have scored 80 points. Like, 
I felt that Kel Gundy even called the dogs off a little bit towards the end because, you know, he was just hammering Marcus Major up the middle, up the middle, up the middle, up the middle. And he was still getting five and a half yards a gash. I mean, literally could have, <laughs> and they could have done whatever they wanted to do offensively, honestly. And that's how good of a game he called. And I even turned to somebody and I said, look, they're going under center. That game looked like, it didn't look like, it didn't look like Lincoln Riley's offense. It looked like Kevin Wilson's, to be honest with you. It also didn't look like a guy that was calling his first ever game. Exactly right. Exactly right. And I mean, when you have Caleb Williams and Kennedy Brooks and that offensive line was really just doing things. They were blocking the, they were doing a lot of zone blocking too, by the way, they weren't doing a lot of the, the GT counter was obviously still a, a, a part of it all, but they were doing things more consistently than they did under Riley, where Riley was strictly the GT counter, left GT counter right, and then kind of, you know, some sort of fold or two outside of that GT counter is what he used in the run game, whereas Gundy mixed it up quite a bit and changed how they did things. There was a lot of power there. I mean, to the point where – they were bringing wide receivers in motion and even H backs right as they got off the butt of the center, the ball snapped and they're heading right up the B B and C gap as a lead blocker, almost out of the I formation. I mean, it was, there were some cool little wrinkles that they threw in there that we hadn't seen a whole hell of a lot of this year that looked a lot like how Oklahoma used their wide receivers and their H backs back when high pool, Chuck Long, Mike Leach, Mangino, and Kevin Wilson were running the show because they ran similar offenses uh, in those, those that in that time that Oklahoma pulled out there tonight. And I, I personally liked it. I mean, when they got under center, I knew it was a play action pass. And I even turned to Colin and said, "They're going to play action here." When they went for it on like it was like fourth and three, and they hit uh, Jeremiah Hall in a little rollout to the right on a play action. And the reason I knew they were going to go for it and I knew it was going to be a pass was Stoops always passes on a fourth, anything more than fourth and one, he play actions it. And he always has, it's just his calling card. But the problem is you can tell yourself mentally, you're going to do that and you're going to stop it. But when you're running the ball as good as Oklahoma is, you can tell yourself whatever the hell you want to tell yourself. You're still going to fall for that fake because you cannot be get you cannot be caught out of position and with your pants down. And next thing you know, Kennedy Brooks is doing a uh, fourth quarter with seven seconds left run against Texas and going in the end zone. That's what happens. So um, I, I thought, like you said, Kel Gundy kicked ass. I mean, he was amazing with his play calling. What did you think of Brian Odom? What? Like as um, far as go ahead. No, I was just I was just going to say what a virtuoso performance from Kale Gundy and Brian Odom. I mean, similarly, for it being his first crack at something like that, he did a pretty admirable job. And look, he can't help it that his corners got beat down the field. He can't help it that DJ Graham just got exposed outside all night. Like DJ Graham just had a bad game. It happens. Right. We've seen DJ Graham play really good football. He just didn't have it. And, you know, if if that's Jaden Davis out there for those couple downs that DJ Graham gets beat deep, maybe Oregon scores 14 points in this football game. Like it, 
on the whole, it was a pretty impressive defensive performance from Oklahoma. Yeah. They were just there was that propensity to surrender the big play, particularly down the stretch in the second half. But no, I was, I was duly impressed with Brian Odom and you saw guys getting pressure on the quarterback. So you know, I don't know what else you can ask for. They made Anthony Brown flustered for the vast majority of that football game. And the stat line is going to say, okay, sure. He had a fine game, but I, I'm not convinced that anybody that actually watched that game would say, yeah, that stat line is an indicative of how well Anthony Brown played because right the Oklahoma defense had him seeing stars for a lot of that football yeah I look what did you think of Jalen Redmond because I thought you know stat wise it wasn't amazing but he ended up with a tackle for loss a sack a couple other tackles just in general but I thought they were using him. They were using him all over. Like he was playing defensive end quite a bit. Then he would move inside and play interior. I thought the way that they lined up and the way that they used guys, the, the more versatile guys like a Jalen Redman was really good. I mean, that guy has had a really solid season. And I want to say this is going to be, and don't quote me, I would have to look it up and I'm going to right now, but I feel like Jalen Redman did things that helped other people, um, you know. And that's exactly that's exactly the point I was going to make, Brandon, is when you see a guy like Marcus Stripling have a career night and you see a guy like Ethan Downs have a career night, you got to mm-hmm. take a look at the guy, the stud in the middle of that line that's helping make that possible for them because – I mean, sure, credit to them, credit to both of those guys, Stripling and Downs, for the performance that they turned in tonight. But you have to imagine that the focus of Oregon's offensive line, you have to imagine everybody along that offensive line was told throughout the week, hey, you better keep keep an extra eye on 31 and make sure you don't get mm-hmm. beat by him because that's the dude that has more of an ability than anybody else on that line to wreck a game. And so the fact that Jalen Redmond was able to take the attention off of Marcus Stripling and Ethan Downs, I think in the eyes of the Oregon offensive line, I think that probably contributed to the outstanding performances that we saw from those two. Right. No, look, and, and I think he has, I want to say I looked it up and he had, well, he has two and a half sacks this year. So now he's at three and a half. Got, People, OU fans, who's ever listening to this game, the guy only played like four or five games this year total. So he wasn't around for the vast majority of the season and still ended up with almost four sacks. That's pretty impressive. That means if he would have played the other eight games, which is just Again, it's crazy to think he missed that many games. Like, it's wild because I, we thought he was going to be back for Baylor. Didn't come back. He came back. What was it? The the uh, the Kansas? Well, no, not the Kansas game. It was the Texas Tech game, right? The one after Baylor. No, who'd they play after Baylor? It was Tech, right? Or was it TCU? No, after after Baylor, well, it, was, it would have been between Baylor. It was, it was the game that he had the fumble return touchdown. Yeah, it was Tech. Um, Iowa it was State. Texas Tech. Was it Iowa State? 
It was Iowa State. Iowa That's State. right. It was Iowa State. So he came back for the Iowa State game, correct? No, he came back for the Baylor game. So we played Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma State. Obviously the bowl game, and he played Tulane. The f- yeah, he played the first three. So he played seven games. Total. Okay, he played seven, and he had four sacks. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, that means he would have ended up with, what, seven sacks or so this season if he was on that 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 pace. So, I mean, still, seven sacks as an interior guy for the most part, that's amazing. When you play majority of your time inside and you end up with seven sacks. Now, obviously, he didn't. He ended up with four. It was like three and a half, four sacks. So, that being said, getting him back next year – and he, folks, he's 100% coming back next year. He did not even ask for an NFL draft grade at all, at all. He said, I'm coming back. I've got to play a complete season. There's no point in me getting it. Like, he could have gotten a second or third round draft grade, but that doesn't mean he's going to be second or third round pick. That's just where his talent's at. The second they start poking and prodding and, talking about all of his health issues, that draft stock goes from second round to fifth round really quick, and that's millions and millions of dollars. He needs to come back. And so he's know, he knows that he's smart enough. The people that are around him that we know pretty well uh, have, have done a good job of talking to him and getting him to uh, listen. And more power to him and, and congratulations to him because – Man, that's a good piece for Brent Venables and company to build around. Oh, we got 31 right there. I think we're going to be all right. We're going to be all right on the defensive line, speaking of, speaking as a coach. Um, the offensive line, did you think that was their best game of the season overall? Because I do. 100% think that was their best and most dominant performance they played all season long. Well, if you look at the totals as far as rushing and you look at the fact that Caleb Williams wasn't sacked, I don't think there's much of a debate to be had, right? I think this has to be considered the best performance they had all year. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so we bring up Caleb Williams. Well, you know what? We haven't talked about Eric Gray, and I think that needs to be talked about because in my pregame notes, and I think I said this to you as well, I thought Eric Gray was going to – I had no idea why I thought that. He was running around in the pregame like he had his hair on fire. Did you see that? Like he was like sprinting everywhere. And I happened to turn to Colin and I happened to turn to John Hoover. Um, and I and and um oh my gosh. Uh Ryan, uh help me out here. Um Ryan Chapman. Ryan Chapman, dad gum. I went blank. Ryan Chapman. And I turned to all those guys and I said, man. Something tells me Eric Gray is going to have a good game. And then I wrote it in the notes, like, don't be shocked if you see it. And then he starts. Everybody's like, is Kennedy Brooks okay? Is he is okay? He was going through warm-ups. He was standing over there on the sidelines. And the, the first three plays was Eric Gray, Eric Gray, Eric Gray, whether it was run or pass. Oklahoma gets the ball back. And guess who's still in there? Eric Gray. And then they go down the field with him. Finally, Kennedy Brooks comes in. And the Kennedy Brooks show starts <laughs> after that. But 
they were really trying to press this Eric Gray thing. It's almost as if they were like going, okay, dude, you're the guy next year. We're starting that right now. Get your crap together and let's go. And he may have had, he didn't have as good a game as Kennedy Brooks. That's hard to do because he also doesn't know how to really run the way Kennedy runs. And he's perfect for this offense with his patience. But you can tell Eric's getting better and better in this scheme because Levy's going to run a similar screen, similar scheme, and he's going to have to be better. Because if he's not, Marcus Major looked damn good. And I'm here to tell you, Gavin Suchuk, and uh, if, they, if they happen to land Javante Barnes here in a couple of days, that guy's pretty good too. So uh, there's going to be some competition in that running back room. A lot of competition, a lot that of talent. there will be. Uh, so what did you think of Eric Gray? What did you think of Jalil Farouk? And overall, what did you think of Caleb Williams? Because to me, as far as Caleb's ability to not hold the ball for long periods of time and actually use his check down, I thought this was his most complete game as far as that went. Yeah, I think, I mean, it was kind of, it wasn't completely a mixed bag. There was a lot more good than bad from Caleb Williams, and he made a lot of really nice throws, most notably that deep ball to Marvin Mims. He didn't have to do a whole lot, right? It it wasn't like he had to come in and save the world like he did against Texas, because the reality was Kennedy Brooks was getting whatever he wanted on the ground. Same for Eric Ray, same for Marcus Major. So the offense was very run-centric tonight, and that's when Oklahoma's offense is at its most efficient and most effective. And so uh, that was an encouraging trend. And I do think what you bring up with Eric Gray, I remember writing about him earlier in the week and essentially saying, look, if this is it for Kennedy Brooks in an Oklahoma uniform, then Jeff Lebby and this Sooners offensive staff needs to know what they have going forward in Eric Gray. And they do have some sense of what he can do as a lead back because he did it at the University of Tennessee for two years. He was the primary back there. But not yet at Oklahoma has he assumed lead back duty. He's deferred to Kennedy Brooks in that capacity. And so uh, obviously tonight you didn't see Eric Gray see lead back type of snaps but you did see him draw the start and you saw him pop off a couple of his best runs of the year 2021 and he made an impact through the air five catches for 25 yards and a touchdown and I think firmly established that he's the leader in the clubhouse for first team reps come 2022 if Kennedy Brooks decides to move on and obviously a lot can change throughout camp and competition is going to be fierce from Sawchuck and Barnes and Major but I think what Eric Gray showed is that he's capable of handling that type of responsibility out of the backfield and you bring up another Mm -hmm. guy that quietly had a really really good night in Jalil Farouk a guy that offhand I think only had one catch heading into the night and uh, I want to say he had three tonight and a couple of them uh, went for some pretty significant chunk gains. And especially if Caleb Williams sticks around 
in 2022 and beyond the bond that he has with Jalil Farouk and Mm -hmm. what Jalil Farouk brings to the table physically, that's going to be an exciting connection to monitor over the next couple of years, because Williams to Farouk, that has some tremendous potential. Talk about speed. Holy crap. (laughs) Both those guys. You just talked about Mario Williams and Jalil Farouk can flat out fly. Oh my God. I mean, they can fly. That, that was that was the consensus in the press box. The second he hit that slant and he, he cut up field and started blazing by everybody like they were standing still and then kind of got shoelace tackled. He was gone if he wouldn't have got shoelace tackled. And that's something he's gonna get better with as obviously he gets older and matures and 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 grows throughout college. But man. He's a legit 4-3 guy, and people talked about that. They talked about his speed and just everything that he could do, but he's big. Like, he's bigger than most of the wide receivers that encompass that type of speed that we have seen in Oklahoma. And then when you put Mario Williams on top of that, I mean, they're like you said, that's going to be a special duo if they stay. And obviously – them staying is kind of with Caleb Williams and the hand it's in his hands because they both came with him. Caleb Williams touched on it today. I asked him straight up. I said, talk about your relationship with Jalil Farouk. A lot of people don't know it. You and I know it because we covered it through the recruiting process, but Jalil never saw Oklahoma. The only thing he saw was the, would they call it the virtual visits that they would do the virtual visits? Yeah. Yeah. Through zoom. So they did the virtual visits and that's it. He got to talk to coach Simmons. He got to talk to coach Riley and Caleb Williams said, we've known each other for a long time. He said, we played little league together. And when we were in little league, we always said we were going to play college together if we could. And we were both, he said, we were both recruited by Oklahoma and we both decided on it. Jalil put a lot of trust in me. He kept reiterating that Jalil put a lot of trust in me because the only thing Jalil got to see, if I remember correctly, was the Sooner Summit. And that was it. That is the only time he visited Oklahoma. So for him, that was a massive step. Like he had to trust Caleb. So now not only is the OU fans looking forward to finding out what he's going to do to Lil Farouk and Mario Williams are too. And that, you know, you talk to, I've talked to some people down here and there's some buzz that people think, man, if Caleb leaves, Mario's going to follow. Like that's, that's what everybody thinks. No, I, I, based on what I have heard, I would, I would say the exact same thing. I agree. But I'm just saying the people around the program say, I agree with every what everybody's saying on that 100%. Because Mario came because he wanted to catch passes from Caleb. They become very, remember how they were the ones doing the recruiting? Mario Williams wasn't yep. even committed to Oklahoma. And he was recruiting for Oklahoma very mm-hmm. quietly. It was just one of those deals, and then he committed to Oklahoma before Caleb did. If I remember that, if I remember the timeline correctly, he publicly committed before Caleb did. Now, obviously, Caleb 
got the, the, the official offer from Oklahoma on January 1st after Brock Vanderbilt Grifty committed. And within a couple of months, he was basically silently committed to Oklahoma and then went public in, in July. But the reason why they didn't go public in July is because at the time, Riley was getting pushed by Dallas and a bunch of other other places. And they wanted to make sure, ironically, that Riley was going to be there. And he signed that contract through like 2026 or whatever. And then said, well, I'm for sure going to stay through 2024. And that's all the Williams family needed. And they publicly they committed right then and there while they were driving down the road on the telephone. Caleb got on the speakerphone through the car and talked to Coach Riley and committed. And then they said they weren't gonna they were gonna do everything like they said. They're gonna wait till July 4th and do that announcement for the fireworks. But that is the reason why those two are so attached to Caleb Williams. So with that being said. We've heard what Caleb said during the presser. We've talked about it on previous podcasts and sure as hell talked about it on OU Insider, where we even mentioned the vacation on numerous occasions. I think I wrote about it over and over and over and over. And I kept saying they're not going to side until after they go on this vacation. They're focused on schoolwork. They're focused on the game. And they're going to go on a vacation and they're going to decide right there what they're going to do and what the future is going to what the future is for them. And what did, what did Caleb come out and say? Before the game, I was focused on my schoolwork, and then I was focused on the bowl game, and then I was, I'm focused on now going on vacation with my family because I haven't got the vacation with them in a long time, and then I will decide. Hmm. Hmm. It's almost like we knew what we were talking about, Parker. Crazy. We did Shocking. not pull those... We did not pull those facts out of our ass. Weird. Um, so you got to hear what he said. You also got to see him say how much he loved Oklahoma fans. I freaking love you, OU fans, blah, 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 whatever. Where are you leaning after this win, after the, what you, the body language we got to see during the presser? where is Parker Thune leaning at this time? And I'll give my feeling on it after, after you. I, I lean towards him staying just because, you know, I, I talked about it a little bit before, but I think you saw tonight just how resilient and powerful and gripping the entirety of Sooner Nation can be when they are unified around a single vision, a single figure, a single goal. And whether that is Bob Stoops or Brent Venable's vision that is at the core of it all, I think that's a really easy thing for a guy like Caleb Williams to fall in line with, particularly if he is going to be the star of the show. And make no mistake, he will be the star of the show in that circumstance. <laughs> yeah. And Sooner Nation has rallied around this guy. They have championed him. They have made him the most popular man in the state of Oklahoma. And the, the dude is going to get whatever he wants to stay around. Like, Lord knows, he will never have to sit down in a restaurant and buy his own lunch within state lines ever again. Because 
that's just the reality of how much people love Caleb Williams. And mm-hmm. that love, at least to some extent, right, is reciprocated. And so I think that's a tough bond to break. Am I saying it's impossible? No, right? Obviously, <laughs> nothing is decided one way or another. Nothing is certain one way or another. And there's a reason we're having this conversation at all. It's because it's not a 100% certainty that Caleb Williams is returning to Norman, Oklahoma in 2022. But at the same time, from where I sit and just having tracked this situation over the last four weeks or so, I find it tough to believe that he will go elsewhere. And again, I, I think what the last month has taught us is that, especially in this new era of college football and with the way that NIL has impacted everything and uh, just all the new factors that are at play in the year 2021, you can't rule anything out a hundred percent. And so I'm not ruling anything out a hundred percent, but amidst all of that, I really do believe in my heart of hearts that Caleb Williams wants to be a sooner and that he will be a sooner at the end of the Mm -hmm. day come 2022. And I think the crucial aspect of all this is that Brent Venables and Jeff Lebby come up with a compelling pitch to keep him around and a clear vision for what they want to accomplish and how he fits into that vision. And assuming that happens and look, given Brent Venables status and demeanor as a leader, I can't imagine it won't happen, but assuming that happens, I think you're looking at Caleb Williams returning. Yeah. Look, I'm leaning towards that in a, but I'm probably not as strong as you just because I mean, the, the the presentation, everything that like that you discussed is something I've wrote about numerous times about Levy and Venables and those around him. They need to kind of figure out something, put put a package together, kind of a presentation type deal and say, this is the plan for you. This is the development we, we have planned for you. This is where we want to take you as far as your reads, your your how, how you call your protections and all that stuff like those are things that really interest Caleb Williams and things that he looks for. So for him, that's the end all be all. The other stuff like the fan adoration, the the fact that he's beloved by his teammates and he, he loves them and he loves the OU fans and all that, that comes second. But to him, the game of football, the knowledge, the, the way that, it's broken down schematically is something that intrigues him and it intrigues him at the level of NFL as far as how they do things and, and the looks that you're going to see in the disguise blitzes and coverages and all that, that are, that's going to come with the NFL are things he wants to be ready for when he gets there as a rookie. And maybe that's something that can't be done because it's college and they can't work with them as much as you can with the NFL, which is nonstop. You can sit there and watch film all day. You can do things. You can break down this, that, or the other with them. So, I, I, again, I, I lean you know, towards him staying. It's just I'm not as strongly – I don't feel as strongly as you do about it because of – I guess also my closeness to it is the fact that I, I feel that way because the vibe I get sometimes when talking to them is just different than – you get when it's public 
And to me that that's telling, but at the same time, it's also, you know, feelings are feelings, but when you get down to the brass tacks, it's, it's, is it this or it's that? And I think at the end of the day, Oklahoma is the best spot for the kid. So you're going to end up with him staying. Now, again, I don't feel super strongly about it, but you know, that's where I stand. We're going to find out a lot. I think over the next four or five days, I think, I think four or five days from now, we're going to know portal or no portal. And even if he goes to the portal folks, don't freak out. Deep breaths does not mean he's leaving because before any final decision is made, they have made a promise to Joe Harris, Joe Castiglione, and Brent Venables that OU will get the last pitch and won't get the last say in this. So, again, take deep breaths, relax, enjoy your New Year's, and we'll go from there. When we find out more, we'll know more, and we'll have it for you. I know you insider VIP before it. You'll find it anywhere else, most likely. Um, Bob Stoops, what he did to this program. And obviously, Caleb Williams also has to be thrown in there. Kel Gundy has to be thrown in there as well. Um, Those three, but most specifically, Bob Stoops, legendary. Look, the visor handoff to Venables was the most epic thing and it's something we are going to be talking about for years to come especially if Venables wins national titles and wins the games that we all expect him to this thing could be one of those deals where legend to legend and they're both considered all-time legends along with Barry Switzer and Bud Wilkinson the visor, the visor is going to be synonymous with all those guys forever. I don't think Venables can go back to the cap now that he's been notorious for wearing over the last few years. He's now back to the visor like he wore when he was at Oklahoma. It was handed off to him. He's got to wear it, damn it. He cannot argue that. And I, I'll say something to him. I know he's probably not going to listen, but I'm going to say something to him. You can't, you have to go with the visor now. No more ball caps. It's only right. Correct, Parker? Only right that he goes with the visor. From I mean, it's, out. it's part of the transitional process from becoming a coordinator to becoming a head coach, right? Like, <laughs> coordinator, sure, you, you have your cap, but you become a head coach, especially at the University of Oklahoma, you adopt the visor. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you. The fact that they brought Venables up there and Bob Stoops, you know, waving to the crowd, you know, playing to the crowd, doing the things that he does. And I said this to Parker or said this, excuse me, to Colin earlier during the game. I asked him and he thought, he thought yes was the answer he gave, but obviously it was more in depth. This Bob Stoops that we see now, could you imagine him recruiting? What do you think that would be like that Bob Stoops recruiting? Would he recruit well? How, how do you see I, that? I don't see how he wouldn't recruit. Like, like that version of Bob Stoops, the Bob Stoops that is just fully embracing his status as a true urban legend in the state of Oklahoma. And basically 
willing to uh, i'm trying not to use a euphemism that is not necessarily stay for work but basically the bob stoops that is willing to just lay out there and say listen this is oklahoma this is what we do and we're going to go win championships with brent venables at the helm and we're going to make sure that this program remains at the top of the food chain in college football like especially in addition to the fact that he's bob stoops like when when you have that kind of stature recruiting is i i mean you think about what Nick Saban has built at Alabama, right? Here, here's mm-hmm. Nick Saban's recruiting pitch. I'm Nick Saban. Now, <laughs> Bob Stoops isn't necessarily at that level because no one is, right? But to a certain degree, Bob Stoops can walk into a recruit's house, say, I'm Bob Stoops, and he's gonna be able to he's gonna be able to out recruit. 80% of the programs across the country for that particular prospect just by virtue of his name alone. And so, right. Yeah, man, he's, I would be very surprised if Bob Stoops rides off into the sunset completely. I think he'll still have a very active role in this program going forward. And I know he has in years past, but especially now that Brent Venables is at the helm. And especially now that Bob Stoops has had to kind of feel the sting of the successor that, he thought was going to steward the responsibility that he handed to him. Well, uh, now that he felt the sting of his departure, I think he'll be a lot more proactive in ensuring that he has a hand in the goings on of the football program with Brent Venables at the controls. Right. Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, I think, you know, having Bob, kind of hovering around the program and the fact he's on the big noon kickoff and all that, I think is just huge for OU because it's a, it's, it's a, it's a national presence that is week in and week out front and center. And Bob makes it known he's a sooner. He doesn't hide it. Everything that he does is centered around how can he help the university of Oklahoma, even his job with big noon kickoff. So I think, I think for the next you know, 10, 20 years, as long as he's doing that, he, his status is only going to get larger. And that's actually kind of scary to say, because he's at epic proportions right now. And the better he gets at the television and the more he establishes himself as a personality, the bigger he's going to become, he's going to become a Corso, but kind of different. And that's something we also talked about in the press box. Like, can he become a Corso type guy? And we all think he can. We all think he is the next guy to be that Corso guy. So whether it's with the ESPN College Game Day or whether whether it's with Big Noon Kickoff, we don't know how all this is going to end, but that's where we think he's going to be. And and once again, it brings OU to the forefront nationally each and every week and puts them on the map maybe with some kids that may not have been that interested in the beginning with just because they like watching what Bob Soups does because he's funny or he's energetic or he, he breaks the game down. They just enjoy him in general. So who knows? Who knows? Speaking of recruiting, though, before we close this podcast out, I'm sorry it's shorter than normal, but, man, it's 4.15 in the morning and we haven't slept. We've almost been up for four hours. So, yeah. Um, the All-American camps are going on right now. I think 
Robert Spears Jennings just won the the race. He ran like some four four whatever four four nine four four six or yeah, laser four four nine for RSJ. Yeah, something stupid fast. Uh, that's a special guy right there that I think is going to be really good under Venables. And he is at the Under Armour. He got voted into the Under Armour game off his play. Hey, Brandon, you remember you remember when all the OU fans were pissed that Oklahoma took Robert Spears Jennings because yeah, he was ranked like, like a 1,300 great in the country? Yeah. Yeah. That dude is going to be – that dude has a chance to be top 250 when it's all said and done. Seriously. Yeah, he's barely outside of that range right now. I think he's like 267. Yeah, he's a special talent. And I'm sorry, OU fans, like – that's one that's one thing they they kind of whipped on as a as a collective group. And that you know what? They're right on some of those guys that they're like, oh, there's no way that guy's gonna pan out. But this one, they were not. Um, yeah, he, he's doing well. Obviously, Javante Barnes has a decision he has coming up on I think January 2nd, correct? January 2nd, doing the Under Armour game. Uh January 2nd. on ESPN. Yep. And there's a couple of other OU commits playing there. I don't know. I don't can't remember off the top of my head which are playing and which I know Gentry Williams is gonna be at the Army Bowl here in San Antonio. Uh Gavin Sawchuk, I believe, is in San Antonio. Dang, I think there's just quite a bit of guys playing in San Antonio, if I remember correctly. I think maybe Kobe McKenzie is Kobe McKenzie in it as well, or no? That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I whatever. Um anyways. Parker and I will be down here. There'll be a combine where all the top 2024 and 2025 kids in 2023, they all come and they're going to compete against each other to be defensive, offensive MVP. They're going to do all this stuff. And we're going to be front and center, being able to interview and get in with a lot of the OU targets that the Venables and company have already kind of pinpointed. And that's going to be big for our side. It's going to be all on OU Insider VIP. And we're going to have that covered for you. And then we're going to have the bowl game covered for you. And then we're going to be at the coaches convention where the high school and college coaches from around the country show up to San Antonio and they hang out for two days. And there's a lot of movement. That's where you start hearing a lot of the rumblings of people moving here or there or doing this and that with Oklahoma still having the defensive line and DB coaches open. Now we've talked about the DB coach. I know you insider. We're not going to say it publicly who we know that it is or who we're hearing that it is, but we've hinted to a lot of the, a lot of it on OU Insider VIP and OU fans are kind of smelling what we're stepping in. If y'all get my drift there, uh, as far as where the hints go and who it might be. So uh, they're, they're quite the sleuths, if you will, and investigative journalists on their own. So um, yeah, that, that, you got that going on and then obviously right after that you have the big junior days and then camp central starts in january or at the end of january or early february and after that again it's balls to the wall for us at ou insider where i'll be traveling around a lot of places while parker will stay back a little bit for his radio but then he'll be at other places he'll take he'll be with me at a couple of camps here or there as well so we're going to have a ton covered for you across the country, whether it's California, Florida, whatever. And Oklahoma's recruiting Florida really hard. I think they have like 10 offers out already in the state of Florida. Maybe more than that. I think it's more than that. Double actually. digits. Yeah. So um, it, they're really focusing on Florida with Brent Venables' ties there from 
his Clemson days. So, um, uh, look, we're going to have that covered for you head to toe. We're going to have all this stuff coming. National Signing Day in February and then rolling over to 2023 and all the junior days and all that stuff as well. So be sure that you are on OU Insider VIP. Uh, and I think that's about it. I mean, outside of, you know, there's offers out there. We've discussed them. A couple of D-linemen here, a couple of D-line there. You know, Kobe McKenzie talking about the flips, flipmas. We've hinted about some of that stuff on OU Insider. Now, with the flipmas thing, I do want to say before we go, the guy's got to visit before I'm going to sit there and say definitively that they're going to be sooner. Sorry. That's just how I see it. And until they show up on campus for an official visit, I am, I think Oklahoma's in a really good spot for those players, but I do not see them as commits just yet, even if they're silent. I, I just don't. And I don't even know that they told the coaches about this. I just know it's the kids talking to other kids about a lot of stuff and everybody's kind of recruiting. How, how do you see that, Parker? Yeah, well, I mean, don't, don't want to necessarily name names here, but I agree. It, right. You know, you look at the month of January, Oklahoma will have the chance to get several big name guys on campus to try and close out this recruiting class. And transfer class portal, and, too. No doubt. And so could it happen? Sure. And, you know, we've thrown those names out there on the OU Insider VIP board, guys that uh, Oklahoma is either going to have on campus or that uh, that they've emerged in a really good place with here late in the cycle. And uh, we'll see what becomes of it. I mean, it's a best case scenario. You're looking at potentially 24, 25 commits in this class for the Sooners. Yeah, I think it, it could be a bigger class than expected. Venables is really trying to solidify things and not have to grab as many transfers as he maybe anticipated going to have to do uh, before they, they started rolling a little bit on the recruiting trail and the OU has the momentum going that's for sure and things are looking bright the future's bright for Oklahoma and we would love to see you on OU Insider VIP following that along because I think it's going to be a fun ride over the next year or two seeing where Venables is going to take this program moving forward. But that's going to do it for this edition, the final edition of the regular season, OU Insider Under the Visor, Sooners Postgame post Podcast. For Parker Thune, my name's Brandon Drum. You guys have a blessed night. Oklahoma wins 47-32 to end the season 11-2 and off to the 2022 season where Brent Venables and company is taking charge. We will talk to you guys later. You guys have a blessed night.